You're listening to Long Distance. I'm Paula Mardo. Before we start the episode, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge what's going on in the Philippines with the eruption of Ta'al Volcano. Our thoughts are with the victims who've been displaced or affected, as well as friends, families, and Kababayans back home dealing with this right now. Ta'al Volcano is beautiful, but Mother Nature is no joke. I'll leave some links to organizations helping communities affected by the volcano on our website, longdistanceradio.com. I'm no expert, though, and I want to make sure funds go directly to relief efforts. So if you know of a great organization doing good work in this, please let me know. I'll try to add it to the site. Send me their information and how to donate or help at hello at longdistanceradio.com. Thanks. Here's the show. Are movies. And then there are quotable, cult classic, we're still talking about them to this day kind of movies, like. Hook isn't a perfect movie, but for me, and I'd say a lot of kids who grew up in the 90s, it is a freaking awesome movie. Just picture a bunch of kids running around in Never Neverland fighting grown ups, aka pirates. It's sort of a sequel to the story of Peter Pan, the boy who wouldn't grow up. But in this version, directed by Steven Spielberg, Peter does grow up, and he turns into a lawyer played by Robin Williams. Here he is with Wendy, now Grandma Wendy, played by Maggie Smith. Yes, I was an old lady when I wrapped twin blankets at grandmother, with my 13-year-old granddaughter asleep in the bed, Moira. And when you saw her, that was when you decided not to go back to Neverland. Where? To Never Neverland. Mora! Grand, I'm gonna go get Mora. You know, I've tried to tell you so many times. Give us a cup of tea, ready? Well, Channel I meal. knew you'd forgotten. Listen, I'm, I'm not ready to no, deal I with must. this right now. Peter is such a grown-up. He doesn't remember being Peter Pan, but when his kids are taken away by his arch rival Hook played by a wigged and mustachioed Dustin Hoffman, Peter must remember to be himself again. A kid who can fly so he can get to Neverland and save his own kids. Who's the shrub? Of course, Peter needs a little help from a ragtag group known as the Lost Boys, led by a red and black-haired punk rock meets skater boy named... Little did I know when I watched this film in the 1990s, probably on VHS or TV, that this kid playing Rufio was a Filipino-American actor named Dante Bosco. He'd actually been working in Hollywood as a child actor for several years before he landed the coveted role of Rufio. It might have been a small role in the big picture of that particular film, but it's one that people still talk about. He has his own Instagram gifs and a meme generator, 
people cosplay as Rufio. A friend of mine told me her sister named her baby Rufio. No, no, Mr. Skunkhead with too much moose. You are just a punk kid. I want to speak to a grown-up. All grown-ups are pirates. Excuse me? We kill pirates. I'm not a pirate. So happens, I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! I'm not that kind of lawyer. The film may have been about Pan and called Hook, but the real fan favorite to this day is Rufio, and with good reason. He might have been the first Asian kid on a movie screen that wasn't a stereotypical nerd, and the iconic character has earned Dante Bosco a place in pop culture, also due in part to his equally fan-favorited roles, like Prince Zuko in the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender. I thought I had lost my honor and that somehow my father could return it to me. But I know now that no one can give you your honor. It's something you earn for yourself by choosing to do what's right. Jake Long in the Disney Channel cartoon American Dragon Jake Long. And Ben in the Filipino-American indie film The Debut. And who is this? Oh, just some friends from school. They had to use the bathroom. Come on, guys, let's go. What are your names? I've never seen you before. Uh, this is Doug and this is Rick. Oh, guys. hi. So you go to school with Ben? Yeah, we're really good friends. Then you should come by more often. We never get to see Ben's friends. Oh, Ben never invites us. That's why. Well, are you guys hungry? We have plenty to oh. eat. Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Mom, they just ate. Guys, come on, let's go. <laughs> but when I visited Dante Bosco in his home in Los Angeles with my fellow producer, Patrick Apino. All right. Yeah, yeah. Patrick said he first saw Dante on screen long before Hook, on a soap opera in the 1980s called Santa Barbara. When I was a kid, my brother and I sometimes watched soap operas because we thought the girls were hot. I saw you, and I think you play a Latino dude. And I was like, that dude's not Latino. <laughs> I didn't know what you were, but I was like, that dude doesn't look Latino to me. I don't know how many episodes. You showed up more than once. I know that. I looked it up. I think your character's name was Amato. Amato, <laughs> I remember. So this, is the, <laughs> so this is the deal on Santa Barbara. When I got hired for Amato, that was the 80s writer strike. And so all the writers got fired. New writers came in. They created all these new characters. Amato was one of them. I'm a Latino. You know, A. Martinez, Cruz. Cruz and Marcy, right? Yeah. Uh, Cruz. Cruz Castillo. Cruz. And the, and the girl's name was uh, Eden. Eden. But her name is Marcy. Yeah, she's yeah. cool. So I was in their storyline. Cruz picks me up as a street kid in Mexico. And I'm like a little hustler. And then I end up going home and like, living with him in Eden. And then I think I was supposed to like ultimately like find out like I was like his son or something like that. But what happened was I, I did a bunch of episodes a few weeks and then the writer strike ended. And then the other writers came back to work and just certain characters were just gone. Wouldn't wouldn't like no wrap up in the story, nothing. Just like they're dead. They're no longer with us. So uh, that's why it was like, I was there for a brief moment, but it was fun. So this is where I'd play a clip of Dante as Amato, 
but I could not find one. So instead, I'll play a clip of Dante in a recent film he starred in, co-directed by and co-starring Patrick. It's called Awesome Asian Bad Guys. Rufio? Rufio! (laughs) He hates to be called that. I hate to be called that. Full disclosure, Dante and Patrick know each other, and I've seen the film. I may be biased, but it's great. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Anyway, those are just some of the many roles Dante Bosco has played in his long career as a working Hollywood actor. On this episode, a conversation with Dante Bosco about that career, and we'll hear him read from the book From Rufio to Zuko, his new memoir about his experiences as a young Filipino-American actor coming up in the 80s and 90s. He'll talk a bit about how and why he and his family moved to L.A. to pursue careers in Hollywood, and we'll find out what he's learned over the years as Rufio, Zuko, Ben, and, well, Dante Bosco. But first, a word from Long Distance. I'm your host, Paula Mardo. Tune in to Long Distance at longdistanceradio.com. Hey, Patrick. What's up? What you doing? Working on an episode of Long Distance TV, the video documentary companion series to Long Distance Podcast. Cool. So what does it actually take to make Long Distance TV? Well, after we figure out the story, I have to shoot, log footage, and edit, and edit. Right. And And there's sound design, mixing, color correction, uploading. That's a lot of work. Yeah. What about you? What does it take to make the podcast? I got to do research, pre-interviews, book interviews, record interviews, transcribe and log tape, write, sound design, and edit, and edit, Hmm. and edit. Sounds familiar. Yep, but we love working on this, right? And thankfully, this season, we have support from the Google Podcast Creator Program and from some of our long-distance listeners. Cool. So if listeners want to support the show, how do they do it? The best way to support Long Distance is to join the Long Distance Radio Club Patreon. It's a membership platform where you can support us while we make the show, with special perks and updates. I can confirm, there are special perks and updates. But there are other ways to help too. You can share the show on social media and in real life, or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Head to longdistanceradio.com slash support to find other ways to help. Now, back to the show. All right, edit and edit and edit and edit. I was 10 years old when I got to L.A. with my brothers, and it was the first time I really understood ethnicity or who I was as a Filipino. When you come to Hollywood, you understand that they are hiring you precisely on what you look like. Being Filipino-American, there have only been fragments of roles in the last 30 years. They just aren't there. Just as history is written by the victors, the life experiences written by the folks at the top of the food chain in Hollywood are the stories that white, straight men have lived or can see themselves relating to. Despite this, I've been able to not just succeed, but flourish and prosper in that industry. How does one flourish in a famished situation? like a million questions after you just read that but I'm gonna try and stick to my script okay how about this did you guys come down here just for you all to start acting yeah me and my family didn't know anybody we didn't know a soul in Hollywood we were break dancers in the Bay Area and we became pretty popular and we became professional break dancers at a very young age and uh it just happened where it's like 
time to make that jump because we had been now dancing for like the 49ers and the Oakland A's and we won 30 some odd breakdancing contests on the weekends, making money on the streets. And then we got scholarships to the San Francisco Ballet Company and we were like bonafide working, dancing, getting paid. And how old are you? It's like, well, we moved to LA when I was 10. So all that was like before 10. And my little brother, Dion, was way younger. And I watched old videos of us breakdancing and I'm like, we were like seven and eight doing full routines. Like how, what is going on? People people always be like, were you guys prodigies? I'm like, no, nah, we weren't prodigies. We were just, I don't know. We were just kids that just did it. Did you guys make up your own routines or did your parents teach you stuff? Uh, my brother, Derek, choreographed a lot of the stuff, our oldest brother. And before that, like when we first started dancing, my, my cousin, Manny Gavino, he was, he did some stuff. Like the older guys would like teach us stuff to do. And then we were just, me, Dar and Dean were like, just do it. We were breakdancing and we'd rehearse and train in the garage and we would dance all night. We'd fall asleep in front of the boombox on like the linoleum floor makeshift thing we had going on. Some nights my mom would just throw blankets on us in the garage and then we'd wake up and go get breakfast. The head spin, go get breakfast, you know? Please welcome to the stage in chronological order, Derek, Dorian, Dante, Dion, the Bosco Like, I love my parents for that because they didn't know what we were doing. My dad's a telephone man. My mom was a housewife and a mother of five and uh, and just really was, you know, when you're a kid actor, it's really dependent upon the support of your parents. And my parents had, like, blind support because they didn't really know. They were an artist. My nieces and nephews are all acting now, but they're now, like, second generation in the family business. And um, they're growing up in a way that they're like, it's just normal to go see uncles do a play or see their aunt, you know, do a reading of poetry or go to a movie premiere. And my niece, Ella's it's a big movie coming out. And it's like, they don't even think about it anymore. Whereas our generation coming in is like, it was all brand new. Like we didn't know what we were doing or how to handle it. So we made a lot of mistakes as a family and in me as an individual. great to be a part of what's going on in the Asian American scene. And you know, I've been a part of the Latino scene and I've been a part of Black Hollywood all through the 90s and I just feel like honorary Black Hollywood for sure. All the films I've done, you know, all the TV shows from Moesha to Hanging Mr. Cooper and like that generation, I'm just, those are like some of my really good friends from Hollywood. Moesha Mitchell? Is that you? Hi, Alex. Look at you. You're a young woman now. Thank you. It's so good to see you again. These are my friends, Chris, Morgan, and Marco. Uh, Miss Norris, I'm your biggest fan. I watch you every day. I mean, you're so professional. You're so intellectual. You're not like those other bimbos who win a beauty contest and next thing you know, they're anchoring the news. <laughs> I was Miss Louisiana. 
<laughs> then do you got any swimsuit pictures? <laughs> I walk into a room in the 80s and they just ask, well, what are you? Well, what are you? I'm Filipino. They'd ask straight up, uh, what is that? As a kid, I realized quickly how to adapt. As a kid, I realized that my identity mattered less than getting the work. My identity was malleable. My identity over time becomes mist. This role is for a Chinese character. I wouldn't straight out lie about taking any other race. I'd sell it much better than that. Well, my grandmother, my dad's side, She's part Chinese, which is actually true. The kind of actor is always good enough. Any amount of anything meant I was all of that thing in the eyes of the cast director. They checked their box. They found a Chinese actor. They'd done their job, and I grew up understanding my reciprocal role I would play in this dance. I get better at this as time went on. They'd explain the role was for a Mexican, and they asked, well, what are you? I'd stand up a little straighter. Well, you understand, the Spanish colonized Mexico. They colonized it the same in the Philippines, so... We're Latino also. Any amount of anything meant I was all of that thing in the eyes of the cast director. They checked their box. They found a Mexican actor, and now I've got the gig. And they got a free lesson in imperialism mid-talent search. This turned me into being able to book all kinds of roles, but never Filipino. Playing Mexican roles, Puerto Rican roles, Chinese roles, Korean, every Asian role. Never playing any Filipino roles until I did the debut. My God, what is this? Hell again, his Mac on. We used to be real tight. We sing it all the time. It all changed when high school started. Who still wanted to join a gang called Barracuda? Barracuda. It's Tagalog. It means like the people you hang out with, like your friends. <laughs> they didn't seem too friendly to me. You speak Tagalog? Oh, oh, fluently. That's wild. That was a scene with Dante Bosco and Joy Bisco in the debut an independent film released in 2001. Directed by Gene Cahayon, written by Cahayon and John Manal Castro. Starring a cast that included veteran Philippine actors like the late Eddie Garcia and young Filipino-American actors like Dante, who plays the lead role of Ben, a Filipino-American high school senior who doesn't identify with his Filipino side. But on the night of his sister's debut, or traditional Filipino debutante ball, Ben comes into his own as he meets other young Filipino-Americans and learns about his culture and himself in the process. The debut wasn't a mainstream success per se, but its grassroots theatrical run grew a dedicated audience of Filipino-American Gen Xers and Millennials. When I saw the film in college, I gotta say, I didn't really know what to make of it. As someone who isn't first-gen and who didn't grow up in the Bay Area in the 1990s. But watching it now, I see the debut as a story with a lot of heart. A time capsule in a movie that has everything but the Filipino kitchen sink. Singing, DJing, lots of dancing, basketball, lechon, a barrel man, a spoon and fork on the wall, and more. The main conflict in the film is between Ben and his father. Ben wants to be an artist, but his father wants him to be a doctor. 
job security versus artistic freedom, a common struggle between young Filipino Americans and their immigrant parents. And while Dante's parents were very much supportive of his artistic ambitions, I asked him if he had any advice for young artists who might be struggling in the same way that his character Ben did in the debut. About what you were saying about family and how, you know, for a kid actor, you know, a lot of it, I mean, obviously it's the talent of the child actor, but also it's the parents who are being supportive and providing that opportunity. I think um, for Filipino Americans and I would say Asian Americans too, it's not really common to have parents supportive of arts fields or arts jobs, or that's like the stereotype, right? What would you say to listeners who might be listening to the show and wanting to do things like acting or even filmmaking or, or some kind of creative thing, but their parents just don't understand? No one really like usually pushes their kids into the, the field of the arts. It's abstract to a lot of people, especially Asians that even though we value as Filipinos, like we all value singing and dancing at home, in the living room. Filipinos are so talented. It's just kind of like what we do. We sing and dance. And even though the other Asians are like, oh, you're Filipino. I'm sure you sing and dance. But it's not always seen as like, oh, yeah, you can do that as a job. Yeah, it's not seen as a job. You know, I feel like it's changing a little bit today because there's more faces in the world that's happening. Not just like what I, me or my family has done the last whatever few decades, but also really upon like a lot of the new YouTubers out there, AJ Raphael's and Ryan Higa's and Kev Jumba's and Tim DeLaghetto's, like really kind of changing what's the possibility of what's going on. But yeah, I think we were fortunate to the degree, me and my brothers, it's because we found success pretty early. And I think even though my parents didn't really understand what we were doing, and some days I still, I don't think they really truly understand what we do. Although I just direct this film and my parents play our parents in the movie. And actually, you know, since they retired, they're like, they. my mom's done a bunch of commercials and she just did like a TV show thing for like Nurse Ratchet, which is crazy. And uh, my dad, he doesn't book a lot of commercial work, but he, he does book a lot of print work, a good amount of print work. He told me he's, he's not an actor, he's a model. <laughs> and I was That's like, great. you're right, dad, you're right. But we were fortunate when we were young because we, we got so much success, even local success, at a young age that they had confidence in us early. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like, it's no parent wants their kid to be hurt, you know, and fail. And the reality of our industry is... It's a lot of rejection. Well, you're not going to make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the reality is, like, this whole town is not built for you to succeed. And when I talk to artists and young artists, as driven as you should be and to create your work, it's like you got to know the fact that like, no one's supposed to make it. You know what I'm saying? You're not really going to make it. It doesn't have to – it actually shouldn't really be about that. Um, what so should it be about? About being good, like being good at what you do. What we do as filmmakers and actors is, is just a craft, you know, like any other craft, like woodworker. It's like study, train, find the masters study them, try to become a master, you know, work. I don't know, there's a poem in the book, a very short poem called Advice to the Young Artist. And it goes, um, seek out and study what a master if you're after greatness. The aim is to impact the world and be the catalyst for changes. Forget what your name is. You should want to be good more than you want to be famous. The pursuit of this thing is like a religious event in your life. You know, it's like, it's a vocation almost. 
It's like you do it because you have to do it. It's like with religion, there's like no evidence that any of it's true. It's like, you know what I'm saying? But you just believe because there's faith. You have faith and you move forward with faith, right? It's even worse in our industry because there is proof. And the proof is you're not going to make it. You know what I'm saying? You're like at best a million to one shot, maybe a 10 million to one shot at times. But, you know, if you work hard enough and you figure some things out and you get lucky, like you can make it. It's a very weird thing to tell a a young artist, like you're not going to make it, but you just might make it. Because it happened to me. It happened to a lot of friends of mine. And it happens every day in this town. If no race was specified on a casting call, that just meant white. I booked those too. I beat a lot of white kids out for Rufio. Whether it was a white role or a black role, I was always the other choice at the final audition. If you're a person of color and you're not beating the white kids out of their jobs every once in a while, the casting writers aren't really seeing you, the star quality in you. They're only focused on the surface. But during that time, amazing things started to happen. I was working as a child actor and I got a big break. I was discovered by Steven Spielberg for this multicultural group of misfit kids and their leader was me, this Filipino, red tri-hawked hip-hop kid. As Rufio and Hook, Dante Bosco has done a lot since then. For cats who may not be familiar, Dante Bosco is an actor, voiceover actor as well, a writer. You might have seen him in the movie Hook as Rufio, one of the illest characters ever in movies. People come up to me to this day like, yo, you were the first cool Asian character I ever saw on television. Interracial couples come to me like, yo, man, growing up, my girl, my wife, she had a big crush on you. I know for sure that you are one of the reasons why she married me. <laughs> if you don't know this gentleman, then you're clearly either not alive or you're not Filipino. Because this gentleman has been a working professional for years. You may recognize him as Rufio in Hook. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our This episode was written, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Paula Mardo. Long Distance is produced by Patrick Pino and me. You can learn more about Dante Bosco and his new book, From Rufio to Zuko, on our website, longdistanceradio.com. Plus, you can watch a special episode of Dante on Long Distance TV. Yes, we've got Dante Bosco on video. It's on the website. Go watch it on our documentary video series for this podcast, directed by Patrick Pino. This season of Long Distance is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creator Program, as well as our donors on PayPal and our Patreon members, supporters, and ambassadors. Learn more about supporting at longdistanceradio.com slash support.
Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Theme song is by Sea Light and the Prisms. That's it for this episode of Long Distance. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, baby. Won't you come along with me? And I will show you.